0: You are listening to America's Health Care Challenge on the Mighty 1290 Coil, the Mighty1290Coil.com, and the Mighty 1290 Coil mobile app. Once again, here's Sean McGuire. Wire. Joining me this segment, author of Don't Buy That Health Insurance, Become an Educated Healthcare Consumer, Catherine Woodfield. How you doing? Welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks, Sean. I'm enjoying it.
0: Good. So let's talk about, we, we had a discussion this week about, well, how we stack up to other nations. And if you've ever read, had the opportunity to read uh, T.R. Reed's book uh, called The Healing of America, have you read that? I comp- haven't,
1: but I spend a lot of time working with the World Health Organization, and uh, I pull a lot of fascinating data off of that, out of that uh, database.
0: And what do you find? We're not well, doing too good, are we? Um,
1: the World Health Organization did an analysis of all the developed nations in terms of not just access to health care, but also affordability of health care and how health care was delivered. And the United States ranked 37th in the world in terms of access to health care and affordability of health care. A lot of people argued about the parameters that were used. So in 2010, the uh, World Health Organization again did an analysis comparing how the overall health is of a nation's population and the degree to which both the economically advantaged and the disadvantaged had access to health care and how healthy they were. And what they they realized out of the 11 nations – that were evaluated is that once again the United States came in 11th on every single parameter. In fact, we spend the most money on every health in every healthcare parameter that was analyzed, and we have the worst outcomes in every healthcare parameter that was analyzed.
0: You mentioned access and affordability, and I. I question whether or not that's going to be solved by this law. What do you think? Because, I mean, I think you know, access is going to be harder to get for some.
1: I think there'll be a bubble where people who buy into the health care system and haven't used health care, you know, haven't had formal access to health care for seven or eight years or for a window of time and their knees have been bothering them or their shoulders have been bothering them. I think there'll be a bubble where there is increased usage. But also the way this law is designed, consumers have more skin in the game. There's going to be higher deductibles on all of us. So we're going to be thinking about how we spend our money because it's our money. And we're going to be thinking about, do I want to pay $35 to go to a walk-in care facility to get what I know is my daughter's ear infection diagnosed and a prescription through like a walk-in pharmacy that's got a nurse practitioner in it? Or do I want to spend $75 and go to my pediatrician to get the exact same prescription? It's my money. So we're going to start approaching our healthcare choices a little bit differently as well. So I do think there'll be a bubble of increased usage, but I, I you know, I, I think the bubble will sort itself out within a few months.
0: Yeah, I think I wouldn't. I think carriers are probably budgeting for that as well, at least for the first few months of the year. Yeah,
1: it's going to be a little. If you know you need to have knee surgery, I wouldn't wait till January. Yeah. I think it's going to be a little busy in January.
0: No, and I think that's where the private marketplace is going to have to, through innovative means, come up with ways to handle this problem, whether it be direct primary care, which is kind of a neat kind of concept, or concierge medicine, things like that. Because You know, it may
1: be for a few months that the insurance companies are out of pocket a little bit. I spend a fair amount of time having expenses that need to be paid before the money is earned, too. I think the insurance companies with all of their employees, with all of their fancy degrees, will be able to figure out how to manage this. I, I'm not going to worry about them until they come to the federal government asking for a bailout.
0: Do you think health care could bankrupt our country like Detroit?
1: Nope, not at all. Detroit isn't being bankrupted by the health care. It's being bankrupted by the promises that it made to its employees and the, the juxtaposition of the fact that so many companies have left that city that there isn't enough income to 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 honor the promises made to retire retirees that it's not a health care issue i i really don't think that's the case i mean i'm not an expert but right. health care well, you know look i look at other countries australia australia ranks number 17 in the world and they have a dual system of public and private health insurance The wealthier individuals are encouraged to use the private system. If they choose to use the public system, a 1% penalty is imposed upon them. Another company, Germany, has the world's oldest universal healthcare system, and 90% of the citizens use the public system. Only ten percent of the Germans use a private health care system, so they've figured out how to make this work, and their economy is is definitely a benchmark economy.
0: Yeah, but the thing is, their economies are like the size of our states. Well, that's and, why it's and so hard for us have, to compare you know, the United against states others.
1: Has unique situations and unique problems. But what we have, when I look at you know ten different developed nations, we have systems that that you know Belgium, they have mandatory mixed public and private health care systems. Switzerland has mandatory, and every, insu- every uh, citizen has to buy a form of health insurance. The Netherlands, mandatory insurance. Japan, mandatory insurance. So we're not doing anything that isn't done in the developed world. What I feel is a bit of a shame is that we have all of these operating systems that are that are ranked, I mean, Switzerland is ranked number two, Japan is ranked 13. We have all of these perfectly good examples to learn from, mm-hmm. to evaluate, to study. And then our system is broken, but it's not broken because we're trying to bring our health care up to a level equal to the rest of the developed world. Our system is broken because our Congress and our, they can't they can't agree on, on you know, whether or not they should be in the same room. I mean, just because a bill comes through, the Senate, it has to be stopped by the House. That's the part of the system that's broken. Well, do you
0: know what the House calls the Senate? <laughs> the place where all good things go to die.
1: That's it. I mean, th- that's the part that's really broken in my mind. Bringing our health care, bringing access to health care it to the population is the responsibility of a civilized nation.
0: Well, I think it's also the responsibility of individuals to educate themselves and become, you know— more informed on this issue, what's a couple things that you think a consumer needs to know going into 2014, Catherine?
1: So the first thing I think a consumer needs to know is that don't fall for the bells and whistles. Bells and whistles, low, low co-pays are going to cost you more in the, in the long run. Your number one thing to shop for is a low out-of-pocket premium, because no matter what, you're going to pay that premium every single month. You want to keep that number as low as possible. The second thing you want to look for is your maximum out-of-pocket exposure. And that number sometimes is hard to find in the policies. Hopefully, it'll be more easy to find in the So it would be your deductible policies.
0: plus your co- – it's to the deductible? You would add that up, right?
1: So, and right. Then- it's the deductible and then – any co-insurance, the like we know so with they car would pay. Is the first money spent. Mm-hmm.
0: And then what they. And
1: then the next money spent is usually, you know, if you have a $2,000 deductible, it's usually another $2,000 that you contribute by co-pays, by prescription refills and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. and then You, you want hit... to keep
1: your maximum out of pocket as low as possible. So for an individual, I think the law says it's $4,000 is your maximum out of pocket within the health care exchange. And for a family, which is two heads or greater, it's, it's double that, so it's a $4,000 deductible, right, because it's two people, and an $8,000 maximum out-of-pocket. So $8,000 hurts a family, but it won't bankrupt them. No. So if you're diagnosed with cancer and you incur, the law says it's an uncapped amount, so you can incur $2 million, $3 million, $4 million worth of expenses, what is your maximum responsibility To managing your medical expenses yeah and and that's the number that you want to keep as low as possible so you want the premium as low as possible and you want to keep that maximum exposure that maximum out-of-pocket as low as possible those two numbers are this are the most important numbers in your plan after that you want to choose a plan that gives you access to a high deductible savings account so it has to be qualified it has to give you the key that unlocks your access to a special pre tax savings account so that when you are spending money visiting doctors and dentists and so forth you have access to pre tax dollars
0: yeah we need to keep keep we need to improve upon that i think
1: improve.
0: HSAs, getting more people opportunities to use pre-tax dollars to pay for medical expenses.
1: You're absolutely right. I mean, the plans that are sold that do not have access to HSAs means that they don't have, if they have a high deductible, but they don't have HSAs, that means they don't comply with the federal guidelines of having, you know, you have to cover this and you can't cover that. So if an HSA is kind of like the closest of qualified plan a plan that's qualified for HSAs has met certain government requirements. So those three letters let you know that the government has set minimums and specific standards, and that insurance plan meets those minimums and those specific standards.
0: Final question, uh, Catherine. You work with small businesses out there. What, what is one thing small businesses need to know and need to be doing to prepare?
1: If you have low-wage employees, um, if you have people who earn an hourly wage of 11 or 12 dollars, if you're a small business with low wages, you need to give your employees access and encourage them to get to these exchanges. Because the federal exchanges are going to give these people subsidy and access to health care. and anybody who is on the federal exchange is a valid waiver. So next year when the mandatory employer plan comes into effect, all those low-wage people will be off of your census.
0: Hey, when we come back, we're going to have more with um, what businesses need to do. We talked about just on that last question, what small businesses need to do. What about mid-sized businesses and larger employers? Oh, and how is the EACA impacting small businesses? Uh, All of that, uh, when we come back here on America's Healthcare Challenge, we're going to react to that interview with Catherine, which was obviously very, very thought provoking. And then we're going to uh, discuss uh, this issue of what businesses need to be doing to prepare themselves. 402-342-1290 is our number. And we'll be right back.